Welcome back to another episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. This is a podcast for fans of the guests who appear on this show, as well as fans of music in general, and a podcast for singers, songwriters, musicians, recording artists, entertainers who want to learn more to help them grow in what they're doing. I'm Bruce Wozniak from Now Hear This Incorporated, which provides management, publicity, and related services. If I can help you with your music career, whether that's becoming a client or simply doing a private one-on-one online video consultation, do get in touch. I have been helping artists from around the U.S. for over 18 years now and would love to help you as well. Just write to me via the email address podcast at nhte.net. My thanks to everyone who listens, whether you're in the music business or not. Do make sure that you're signed up for the weekly email newsletter. Oftentimes there are exclusives in there that those who subscribe get to see first. So if you're not currently receiving that, start getting access by putting your email address in the sign-up box on the show website, nhte.net. Joining me today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from San Diego, my guest is the president and CEO of NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants, which is a global not-for-profit trade association representing more than 10,000 manufacturers and retailers of musical instruments, professional sound, and live event production products. Their massive annual trade show is coming up at the beginning of June in Anaheim, the proceeds from which they reinvest into grants, scholarships, scientific research, industry promotions, and public and government relations programs. Well-versed across the business, he is also a musician himself and was a touring manager and even an installer. Welcome to Now Hear This Entertainment, Joe Lamond. Hello, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Joe. Thank you. I know we're going to spend lots and lots of time today talking about NAM and the upcoming show in Anaheim in June. So I want to make sure we take time first to have you share about your days as a drummer with Tommy Two-Tone first. A lot of you in the audience, by the way, will associate him with the song Jenny, 8675309. Joe, let's hear all about that period in your career. Well, like a lot of your listeners, you know, to to be involved in the music business, you do a lot of things, right? Many uh, players, teachers, maybe Moonlight in the recording studio. I worked in music stores, and then I played drums in bands in Northern California in the Bay Area. And so I was lucky enough to um, get into a band, Tommy Two-Tone. This was a little after the song was recorded. That was a, not me on the song, unfortunately. But I was a touring drummer and played it a million times. Um, but then after a tour, I'd go back and work behind the counter of Drum and Guitar City and later wow. on Skips Music. So it was just kind of an interesting, like I say, I think a lot of your listeners can relate. It's just the way it works. You just do a lot of different things. And each thing you do kind of, kind of all combines and adds up up to a career that ultimately you look back on and go, well, I guess that happened that way. But I look at myself as being a drummer to band and I look in the mirror and go, is that really me? <laughs> like a long time ago. Um, but there were fun days. Uh, you learn a ton. Everyone who's toured knows how much you learn on the road about people and, and how much fun you have. So I, I cherish those memories. They were awesome days. And yeah, the song was fun. Sometimes you know, we played it a lot, but it was always a... The crowd loved it whenever we'd, we'd break into that song. That opening guitar riff was just so strong, and Tommy is a great entertainer. So it was really fun for me, great learning experience. And sure. I wonder, though, if you came to him after the song had been released, that had to be kind of an eye-opening 
invitation, an eye-opening opportunity to say, wow, I'm going to get to play with Tommy Two-Tone. So how did that actually get to happen? Did you know him? Did you know someone who knew him? Did he come into the store? What was the sequence of events that led to you becoming his drummer? Well, I think in the those drummers in, in, the, in the audience or in the world realize how there's a real brotherhood of drummers, sisterhood, I guess, two brothers of drummers. And we help each other out. And, and there was a drummer who was playing with him. Um, there were several. I think the drummer, I think the actual recording drummer was a guy named Rick Cutler, who also worked in a music store up in Katati, Northern California. But I had a friend named Mike Urbano, uh, who ended up being in a, in a band with Bourgeois Tag. Ultimately, the um, he, if you look up Mike Urbano, just Google his name, you see how many records he's played on. He's sort of the Hal Blaine of, of, of you know popular music in the in the '90s and 2000s. But um, a lot of times people double book, and so he was. So I got uh, the call to say, "Hey, can you do this tour?" And that's how it ended up starting. And wow. I stayed with him. But you know, we help each other out, right? I mean, it's yeah. the same thing on touring. Uh, you know, road managers or lighting guys or sound guys. Sometimes you get double booked, and you make a call to a friend who you know, a friend who you trust, and a friend who you know do a good job. And I think that's kind of the karma wheel of all this. We owe it to others to do the same thing. But yeah, I got a call from a friend, Mike Urbano, <laughs> said, "Hey, I can't do this tour." can you do it and uh, I did it and had a blast and um, as a matter of fact the same guy Mike Urbano the guy who got me the you know the production manager job with Todd Rundgren so certain people in your life come along and they just they influence you sometimes more than you know I guess I bet you everyone can relate to that or can relate to the fact that they are that person helping others yeah, and I think yeah. that's a, again a, a karmic lesson to, we got to help each other out that's how the music industry I think um, why it's different than maybe other places and why I love it so much. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And I just want to make clear to the audience that Joe is not done with his days as a drummer. I know a few years ago I was at the Summer NAM show in Nashville and we were at an event at the Hard Rock and I'm looking at the stage and who gets up and sits down behind the drums to play but Joe Lamont. So uh, these might be old stories, audience, but at the same time it doesn't mean that he stopped playing the drums uh, a long time ago. And folks, as my conversation with Joe goes along, you're going to hear that while NAM does a whole lot all year round, their big trade show every year really provides almost a kid in a candy store type environment for various members of the music community. If you're serious about gear and come on, if you're creating music or podcasts for that matter, you should be serious about gear and the sound that you're getting out of what you use. That's why I'm so eager to tell people about the unit at the center of my recording rig from a company called Centrance, like the word entrance with a C at the beginning. While this is an audio interface, it's actually much more than that. The pandemic really brought streaming to the forefront, and one of the ways to stand out in that realm is with great quality audio, which the mixer face can give you because of the professional quality preamps. It's also great because there's not a huge learning curve that's going to intimidate you from ever using this in the first place once you get it. There's actual knobs on this device. There's not menu after menu that you have to keep going back to the owner's manual to try to navigate. Plus, with the combi jacks, quarter-inch and XLR, you can switch between microphone or instrument level. The mixer face is the version for those of you doing music, and its companion for podcasters is called the Portcaster. Whichever you need, your audience will thank you because of the studio-quality sound that you'll deliver. Centrance has also given me an offer for my audience. Go to my show website, nhte.net, and click or tap on the mixer face ad it's in the right hand column on desktop or scroll way down on mobile to see it once you use that to go over to their website to order centrance will give you free u.s shipping 
And when you put in the code Bruce, they will send you a free watertight accessory case to carry it in. Joe, I mentioned in the intro that you were also a touring manager. More specifically, this was with none other than Todd Rundgren. Amazingly, his big song, Hello, It's Me, was from 1972, and yet 50 years later, he's still at it, currently touring in a Beatles tribute show, plus dates that he's doing separate from that with Daryl Hall. Joe, when you were working with Todd, what period of time was that, and what did it look like for you back then in that role? He's a hero of mine. And I had been admiring and been a fan of his music since I was, I had, old, I had an older brother, you know, my older, if you have an older brother, if you're lucky enough, that's where your record collection came from or your, <laughs> or your entrance into cool music, you know? Um, so I was a huge fan and uh, he ended up moving from New York to Northern California as well. He relocated to just north of San Francisco and South Toledo. So he came entrenched in the music scene up there. So, you know, a lot of the different musicians worked with him and the same idea. I got a call. Um, I had been uh, available to do some of that type of work. I'd done some of it with Tommy Tutone. It was actually an interesting time where I was doing some of the organizing of the tours and then getting up and drumming. Mm. And then after the show, going and settling up with the uh, front box office. It was kind of a, and that's when I realized, hey, I think I have a knack for this business mm. side of things, you know. Um, and I have a, a desire to, to pursue it. It's kind of fun. That maybe this is my internal wiring is, a, is, is the business side of, of things. And that, that evolved over time, like a lot of people try different things and they, and they kind of make sense but so when I got the call to be a production manager for Todd it was for the Nearly Human Tour and that was 1988 I believe okay. and consequently that was a, a U.S. tour and then Japan which was just a blast and I think there's three or four other tours including one Utopia reunion tour mm. which I thought again was, I was a huge fan of the Utopia his, his, his band and so you know that was the the good for that was I loved the the work I loved the the band and the bandmates and of course working for Todd is a lesson in, in just how to be an excellent human being all the way around how to mm. be creative and hardworking um, the only part I didn't like was watching my friend Mike Urbano or or after another Prairie Prince from the Tubes play the drums because I wanted to do that too. <laughs> so that was the hard part, getting everything ready and sitting on the side of the stage watching the whole show go off, troubleshooting, making sure Todd had everything he needed to do a good show, and then seeing someone else jump up on the drum set. That was the hard part. But mm. I got used to it and, and just, you know, had the best seat in the house for all those shows. So, But I think the lesson for me there, and again, a lot of this is all lesson learned, right? Lesson learned was over time I found that while I thought I was a decent drummer I knew that there were a lot of them what I found was I had a particular skill to do one simple thing which is to make order out of chaos mm. to make order out of chaos then I found out gosh you can make a living doing that <laughs> you know? and each act after that or every opportunity I had after that had some semblance of that skill my little superpowers or how to make order out of chaos well, as the audience is hearing, you certainly have had varying experiences to draw from in your role with NAM. So we heard about being a drummer with Tommy Tutone. You're talking about being a touring manager with Todd Rundgren. I said in the intro that you were even an installer, and you mentioned at some point uh, working at a place called Skip's Music Store. So having heard all of this, how much easier has it made your job all these years at the helm of NAM to have done so many of the things that 
these attendees of the NAM show are currently doing? How much easier has it been since you can relate to so many of these different professions as opposed to someone who could have been NAM president and CEO, but maybe they only did X, one thing throughout their whole professional career? Yeah, that's a really good point because, you know, the industry is many, many segments. You know, if you just think about an old traditional record store, how many different sections of music were there, right? There were dozens by the time you got down to reggae or, you know, pop. So as many segments of music, that's how many segments of the actual industry there are, too. You've got such a wide range of of instruments, you know, accordions to zithers, you've got piano and organ, school band, you've got rock and roll, you've got recording, you've got touring, you've got software. All those are almost like different industries in a way, but what binds them together is that they're all connected to music, but they all speak their different languages. And sometimes you see at the NAMM show, which is a gathering of all those people from around the world, by the way, 100, 102 countries belong, wow. have members that belong to them. But the ability to have the linguistic ability to speak their language metaphorically is maybe what I got out of all those experiences mm-hmm. to be able to um, understand where they're coming from, what their some of their key issues are. I mean, as a trade group, our role is to try and support them in their efforts to be successful. So that would mean grow the market, create more music makers, create more access, more music education. That's kind of a universal need that all these um, segments have. They would love to have a bigger and more robust industry. Yes, it's business, but more importantly, we just love music. We think Having more music in the world, having more kids have access to music, having more seniors play music as they age to be healthier, we just think that's good. We just think that's a really good thing as an industry. Um, so, you know, from a NAM perspective, I need to be able to speak those different languages, whether it's, you know, working with a, a Japanese manufacturer about coming over to the NAM show or representing a group of NAM members who want to go to Washington to talk about a specific regulation or bringing a whole bunch of NAM members to Washington to lobby for music education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all those things you have to kind of fluently move back and forth between issues. Um, and so if anything, that's, that was what I was lucky enough to have, that kind of uh, ability to, to navigate those different, um, you know, segments of languages, how they dress, how they act, metaphorically, of course, and what their interests are, what their, uh, what their needs were. So I've been doing this 23 years now. I've been to a CEO for 21 years this month, actually, I think. And I'm still learning. I, I You know, the mm. pandemic certainly has thrown things into, you know, a new focus. So I still, maybe because I'm still optimistic as, as any drummer would be, I just feel like this is day one still. I'm still learning and having a blast doing it. Mm, fantastic. Fantastic. Let's start digging into the upcoming NAM show that... Wow, as we sit here at the start of April, is all of a sudden only two months away. Uh, Joe, for those in the audience that actually might not be familiar with the event, explain how the show is a resource for prosumers as well as professional musicians, creators, producers, and even songwriters. You know, to take a little trip back, NAM was founded, of all, if you can believe this, in 1901, hmm. right? It was founded by 52 piano dealers in New York City who wanted to band together to have their voice be stronger. You know, they wanted to have a voice in, in the issues that were, that were facing them at the time. Wow. That's the basis of any group joining, right? I mean, how many, you know, every industry, airline pilots, school teachers, um, you know, truck drivers, 
drivers, everyone has a body or an organization or a trade group that speaks for it. It just does. I don't know why that happened, but around, I think it's actually credited back to Teddy Roosevelt. In the early 1900s, he felt, Teddy Roosevelt felt that there were, in a society like America, there were things that the private enterprise would be incented to do and do really, really well. And that there was another set of things that the government would do really, really well, maybe better than, than anything else. But he felt that there was this middle ground, this middle ground of maybe the private sector wouldn't be that incentive to do it, and the government wouldn't do it really well. They just wouldn't mm. be great at it. So he basically created this nonprofit, tax-exempt section of our U.S. government. You know, private enterprises out there killing and you know trying to you know profit and da da da, and then the government you know does has really important functions and safety and keeping the country safe and regulation. So, but that middle ground became trade organizations that spoke where all industry worked together to have a singular voice on the issues. It became nonprofits like the Red Cross, uh, came hospitals, universities. So that whole middle ground of tax exempt organizations is maybe one of the things that I think make this country one of the best in the world. Because these middle ground you know, organizations like NAM, they're pretty, you know, private enterprise thinking. Like we really think about things like how do we do the best job for a customer? How do we maximize our returns? The only difference is instead of at the end of all this, it going to shareholders and some profit, it mm -hmm. goes back into public benefit. Mm -hmm. So that's NAM. So in 1901, this was formed, and you see a lot of these groups going back uh, to that time period. It was a really a rich um, growth of that kind of middle middle ground. Um, and it makes, again, parks and zoos and, like you say, so many things that make this, you know, they're nonprofits. They're tax-exempt organizations. How lucky we are. So NAM is that one. That NAM is one of those, the trade group. And since 1901, we've had kind of a business model that, um, if you can picture in your mind, a big circle. And if you're at 12 o'clock on the circle, it starts with this, you know, trade gatherings like the NAM show. We have membership dues. And we have, you know, some ways that we bring in revenue. That's, a, that's 12 o'clock on the circle, so it's clock end. And then you go around the clock circle at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. All that money gets redistributed to, you know, understanding why music affects children and their brain development. Mm. Um, funding for programs like Little Kids Rock and after-school programs, guitars in the classroom. Lobbying to make sure government makes music education a core subject and it's funded as such. So then you get that clock hand going around 6 o'clock and parents and families and everyone understands communities the value of music. And so they support music. And then it goes up around 9 o'clock that clock hand and so those though that support turns into industry growth they buy more guitars yeah, they buy more yeah. you know microphones and then and they go see more concerts and then that leads to by the 11 o'clock all the companies that belong to them they grow because they're yeah. able to sell more and get more product out there and then it starts at noon again uh, uh, noon every 12 o'clock all over again and that's yeah. the circle so that's that's, that's the business model yeah Bring it back, promote music, industry grows, the show grows, and that's the circle since 1901. Now, it has been interrupted before, like it is now. Sure. During World War One, the Great Depression, World War Two. I mean, NAM has this history of how we've gotten through some really tough times. And, you know, this is a tough one now. we got, you know, global travel bans still. The pandemic is not gone. Um, you know, obviously, by the time people are listening to this, 
unfortunately, we won't know what the, the European situation looks like. But, um, you know, we're trying to be the United Nations of, of people who make gear. So the companies like Yamaha, Dialway, you know, uh, Gibson, the people who sell the gear, you know, Sweetwater, uh, Guitar Center, Sam Ash, you know, all the, and all the, all the mom and pops in every community, or people who use the gear, the engineer for, the sound engineer for Garth Brooks, and touring manager for Dave Matthews, you know. So you, the NAF show is sort of a trade, I mean, it's not for everybody, right? If, if you make your primary income making gear, selling gear, or using gear, and that includes people, music educators that are, you know, creating their classrooms or, or a facility manager who might be, you know, having a, a $10 million budget for a new sound and lighting, you know, rig for a new theater on Broadway. So that's the ecosystem that makes up NAM. There's the other ecosystem of all the artists. Now, they all come to the show because they want to see the new gear, too, right? Yeah. And they usually come by talking to their friend at Yamaha and saying, hey, can you give me a badge? <laughs> you know? um, but their trade group is really Maris, right? You know, the Grammy folks. Um, the music educators have a group, um, National Association for Music Education. So they, some of these others have their own specific groups. But NAM is the group about making, selling, or using music and sound products. So we do have that broad reach um, from a trade perspective. But like I say, artists just love going to NAM. And there's concerts everywhere you look at this. So the show, I'll talk about the NAM show. So basically, yeah. it's, a, it's a global gathering. It had been in January for decades. And then the pandemic hit. So, yeah, I want to I want to jump in here and tell the audience that you know when Joe is talking about some of the things that have hit over the years and and the way that Nam has had to respond or adjust, and he mentioned things like the depression or the war. Obviously, the pandemic, you know, the most recent example, and I'm going to put a link on the show page for this episode at nhte.net to episode 390, so you can go back and listen to. Joe's address as well as Joe's sit down that he did last summer in Nashville at the 2021 NAM show. And that's a good episode. So you can hear, you know, how these different constituents that he's referring to responded to something so major and the way it impacted their industry. For those that have been listening to this show for some time now, thank you, of course. And you might recall that although my show actually started in February 2014, I first started creating live on-location NAM content at the January 2017 edition of their event. That was also a recurring entry on the calendar at the start of every year. So, Joe, why June for this year's edition? And then for that matter, I understand that 2023 will be yet a different month and then something different from that in 2024. Explain all of that, if you would. Yeah, it's uh, it all is pandemic related, one thousand percent, and it's sort of like the it's Frodo's hero's journey, right? So we had the twenty twenty show. It's a four year arc, by the way. We're going to show a journey of four years in twenty twenty. In January, we had the largest, most widely attended, and exhibited trade show in NAMM's history at that time. Mm-hmm which is almost 120 years. I think we we're about to be 120. I think in June is our anniversary. And six weeks later, the pandemic hit. And so going from the largest, most successful show we'd ever had to we have to cancel the 21 show completely. We did a virtual event called Believe in Music, which was a lot of fun. Had 180 countries on a virtual event in January, but no show at all in 21. 
then we are all ready to do the show in 22 in January when last August someone started echoing this word Delta. <laughs> Delta, new variant. Mm. And hadn't even you know, thought about a new variant coming along. And then Omicron. So in August of 22, we had to move January. We knew we couldn't do one just this past January. And it ended up being a, you know, a right move because it was still a very uh, dangerous time, I think, with the virus. So we moved that to June. It was a the best of the worst scenarios. Mm-hmm. You're about to show the size of man. It basically takes two complete weeks in this Anaheim Convention Center, which is you know huge, over 1.5 million square feet, and it's usually held, you know, usually booked with like I don't know multiple groups at the same time because no one usually takes up the whole thing like we do. So. Mm-hmm. For us to move it, we had to actually negotiate and plead and get other groups to move. Wow. And Anaheim did wow. a fantastic job. So June was the only time to do it. If we we're going to do a show in 22, the only time we could do it was June. So, I see. again, the best of the most horrible choices. So we took pick June in 22. Then we had to think about what January of 23 might look like and thought, well, we still may have, the virus may still be with us. We don't know. And this is uh. last fall making these decisions. You know, these are way in advance. And I thought that maybe in January we might still have some risk, but springtime, historically, you know, from what we've studied, we were around in the 1918 pandemic. Historically, we thought spring might be better. And it was a bridge to have a nine-month period between the previous show and then another nine-month of 24. So back to January, where our home was. So we had January of 20, great show, canceled 21. 22 is in June, 23 is in April, and boom, we get back to January in 2024. Okay. But that's a four-year journey to get back. Yeah. And that's the thought process behind it. So I hope that helps others. Why? You know, why do we move it like that? Well, that was the thought process. Yeah. When you mentioned that 2020 was the most successful ever, I think you might have said it set a record. Is that in terms of attendance, or what is that based on? Uh, it was the largest number of exhibitors, the largest number of brands, the largest square footage of rented space, and I think we had the largest number of, of registrants as well. Yes, we did. All our key uh, performance indicators, all our KPIs were records wow. in that year. Wow. And I think our members had a great show, too. We literally had, you know, there was a euphoria for the industry that the 2020 was going to be a really good year. So I think mm. the members also had a very good show. And so what is the status of the summer NAM show? Will that return? And if so, when? And then also, will it stay in Nashville? Too soon to tell. We're not going to do it in 23. I mean, this year, 22, because we'll have the show just in June. When we are thinking carefully about 23, we want to do an event in Nashville. What's it going to look like? We're trying to look at the industry's needs. Is it a trade show again, or at that point, is it more of a conference? Um, I can kind of foreshadow a little bit. What's in my mind, anyway, is a kind of a, a cro- we use the word crossroads a lot, as man bringing all these groups together for the benefit of all. But in, the, in my mind, the, the, the idea is taking shape that in summer in Nashville, we would have a crossroads leadership summit. Mm. You know, the heads of companies, the up-and-coming leadership, and have a summit that would really help 
decide the industry's future, um, more on leadership than on um, trade show floor or launch of new gear. Interesting. Uh, but that's still an idea, but that's what's um, taking shape in my brain okay. is that there'll be a one big time of year to launch product, and then the second time of year we meet. It's more about leadership, development of leaders, um, shaping the industry going forward and trying to see how we can, you know, help all the companies be more successful. Okay. Okay. Well, back to the NAM show that's coming up June 3rd through the 5th at the Anaheim Convention Center. What are some highlights of this upcoming edition of the event? Family reunion. These people have not seen each other in two and a half years, you know, <laughs> and this is a, this industry is a tight bunch. We know each other as friends. We know our kids' names. Sometimes we know our dogs' names. This is just such a pent up, um, you know, desire to see each other again. And then to kind of dust ourselves off. How do we do? Some companies did great during the pandemic. We want to celebrate that. Uh, some were very much impacted. If you're in a live touring side, um, if you're in, you know, some industry members of man were just devastated by the pandemic. So first and foremost, seeing everyone again, taking stock, taking stock of where we're at as an industry. Mm -hmm. uh, two, there are going to be a lot of new products. There's been a, you know, the supply chain issues have certainly impacted um, products coming to market. But after two and a half years, uh, I can tell you that many of members have some wonderful new products to bring out. They won't tell me what they are yet because they want to <laughs> debut them. They want a big splash. But, you know, I would expect to see some really cool new products. Uh, and then, of course, we'll we're going to be doing probably what's as important as ever is education for the people that are involved in this as a, as a trade, whether you're a music dealer or a manufacturer or a touring professional, mm -hmm. um, studio we have we have tracks for education aes is doing an education track we basically have free education for every segment of the industry and i can tell you things like the touring industry right now is just so constricted by not having enough not having enough people in the industry so many people left the touring industry mm. so i see in june almost like the biggest job fair you've ever seen wow. uh, tours who are looking for you know people to go out and you know mix sound or do lights or do rigging and so a lot of the education is going to draw those people in, but really it's going to be a big job there, I think. So um, the show has always been based on, on a three platform, great new products, great education, and then networking and career opportunities that come when everyone's together at these different events, like, you know, there's award shows and things like that. But new products, education, and uh, individual opportunity from the networking. Those are the three pillars. And I don't think that's going to change too much. I still think even after the pandemic, those three things are still going to be very important. So that's really what they're going to see in June. You hit the nail on the head when you started in with, with family and everybody getting reacquainted and seeing each other face to face again because you know everyone has been away for so long and it's just that spirit that happens at the nam show as it is i always remember my first one going there and just being so overwhelmed and then going to nashville and literally bumping into people at the summer nam show like physically bumping into people that i knew and thinking to myself well this could never happen in anaheim and lo and behold the more years that i've gone the more that i've started to bump into people in anaheim and you say that's just because as huge as the event is the music world itself gets smaller and smaller all the time and those friendships are built, those relationships, and you do really crave spending time pressing the flesh and seeing those people in person instead of on the computer screen in front of you. You know, thank God we've had these tools. I will never, you know, I don't know what we would have done if the pandemic hit a couple decades sooner. I've lived on Teams. Mm. I've lived on Zoom. And thank, thankfully we've had them. But 
you know, I, for one, you know, maybe as an artist myself, I believe that we are, you know, communal human beings and we want to be together. And uh, this, this kind of isolation we've had, I don't think it's been good for anybody. I, t- I know it's not been good for our industry. I know it's not been good for kids. We, we've got to get back to physical events. And I, yeah. I, I can't wait. I think yeah. it's happening right now. I mean, there's shows right now. You can go see concerts anywhere around the, around the U.S. right now, for sure. I think we are coming out of it. And um, I think, you know, pandemic's over when you just stop seeing the headlines every day. That makes me think we're getting, we're getting past this. That's one. right. That's right. I'm joined today on the Now Hear This Entertainment guest line from San Diego, California, by Joe Lamond, the president and CEO of the National Association of Music Merchants. Find them on the web at nam.org, and I will put a link to that on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Nam is very much on social media. On their website, you will see links to engage with them through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. As you've been hearing us discuss, the 2022 Nam show is coming up June 3rd to the 5th at the Anaheim Convention Center. Information about who can attend and how is available at nam.org. As much as you all hopefully know that working with singers, songwriters, recording artists, etc., is at the heart of what I do, there have been a lot of people that I've been consulting with that have wanted my help in the world of podcasting. I've done one-on-one sessions with guys and gals from industries such as real estate, investors, entrepreneurs, the music world, of course, and more. Whether you already have or want to have your own podcast, get in touch with me to discuss the challenges you're facing, the questions you have, the help you need. Simply write to podcast at nhte.net and let's schedule a time for a private video chat and get you moving forward in your podcasting journey. I want you to benefit from my more than eight years in podcasting, doing a show every week, and more than 600 episodes that I've hosted, and let it benefit what you're doing with your podcast. Joe, how has the NAM show changed with the introduction of the previous virtual elements and more ways to interact with the brands who make the music gear and the technologies that we love? Yeah, the idea that um, the world was going that way by far, anyway, and, and the NAM show had very much had virtual elements to it. Um, new pro- and there's a couple ways to slice this, and I'll come mm-hmm. on from the show perspective. Um, new products that would be debuted on the NAM show floor historically would take you know the time it would take for a trade magazine or a consumer magazine like Modern Drummer or something to publish and you know show what was new from them. Right? That was a lot of headlines you'd see if you're a you know, getting music stores and there's the rack of, of magazines like Guitar Player and stuff. New from them. Well, right now, there are so many people streaming from the show floor, and we would be streaming content that if a new company was debuted at, you know, 10 a.m. on the morning, by 10.01, it was seen around the world mm. by somebody posting it. So, you know, it became a much more immediate um, show, and that was really a powerful driver. So, that, you know, sometimes wow. company was, companies would come the NAMM show simply to get that kind of media exposure or that wow. instant exposure for a new brand or even a new company. So, um, and we would do the same thing. So with the pandemic, without being able to do a show in 21, we created this full-on streaming show called Believe the Music. Hybrid almost is what it's going to lead us to. So in June, for the first time, there'll be a, a full-on hybrid NAMM show, which will allow 
to, you know, exhibitors to show product virtually as well as their booth. Uh, edu- you know, education to be streamed live wow. and around the world, even wow. if you're not in the room. Um, and if you happen to be at the show and use this technology on your iPhone, it kind of becomes like a, a double. It makes you be more effective with networking. You can see, hey, I've got a friend over in Hall E. He can see you in Hall A, and you guys can connect on on the show app to say okay i'll meet you at the at the, you know the, the coffee stand in hall b mm-hmm. so there's ways to make yourself more effective you could be watching a session on your phone as you're going to a meeting that you might be having with you know again for the exhibitor or even the hotel room when you get home that night uh back mm-hmm. after the show so if you're not there it allows you to have a peek into the show not the same of course it's not yeah. going to be the same as being there as you know there's a sur- surround you know central uh experience of being in, in the show itself yeah. but if you're at the show it's also kind of an, a, a way to, to maximize your show experience while you're there so that's the, the hybrid that we're going to be you know experimenting with is the first time we've done it to such a degree where we have the physical show and we have the virtual show going on at the same time so that's all a bit at nam.org um, during the show so like I say we had people in the Believe in Music virtual event 21 in 50 more countries than we've ever had at the NAMM show. Mm. And so almost 180 countries, because I think at the NAMM show, the peak in 20, we had, I think, 128 or 129 unique countries and territories. And so to get 180 countries during the Believe in Music um, event, the virtual event in 21, really surprised me. It's like, ah, people know who this, what this thing is, and, and, and maybe they will never be able to come from some of these yeah, remote areas. Right. But they knew what NAM was, and they knew that they wanted to be a part of it. So we want to we want to serve that you know that market too, and make sure that um, we're a connector, right? We're a big platform that connects everybody. Uh, it's kind of what you do with this podcast. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. A uh, tip of the cap to NAM for saying, you know, we're we're otherwise giving people all or nothing. You're either coming to Anaheim or you're not getting an experience at all with us. So drawing from the virtual and saying, well, wait a minute, we can do a hybrid and offer people both. That way, if they can't get here for whatever reason, they can still feel that they're a part of it in some way, just not physically. So I, I take my hat off to Nam. That's that's a nice a nice addition. You know, we've seen so many changes in the music industry, obviously, for many decades. I'm talking about everything from going from analog to digital to vinyl to CDs to streaming. I'd love to hear your vision for what the future of this industry show will look like as well as your thoughts on why it's important to continue the long tradition. Boy, that's one of the best questions I've ever had. I think if you take the long view and you think about NAM, uh, there's a hand-drawn floor plan from one of the first shows, if not the first show. It was on the, it was on the floor of Madison Square Garden in New York, which was basically a basketball court. <laughs> and it's a hand-drawn floor plan that all the booths and all the exhibits fit on the size of a basketball court. <laughs> mm. So things have really changed over the years. And in the 20s, the Edison Company was debuting some of the radio products at NAMM shows. Mm. Um, in the 30s and 40s, the big exhibitors were record companies because record music stores, as we know them, today they were music stores in Penn. You could buy a piano, but you could also buy, that's where you went to buy all your records. Um, in the 60s, it was a, I remember going to one of our trade magazines, and uh, they said, here's the thing that people do when they come to visit our office. They had all their magazines lined up going back to like 1890. And they said, you know what the fun thing people do is when they come in, they, they uh, go to the year they were born and pull out the um 
pull out the issue of that year and just read some of the headlines. So, you know, I was born on December 30th, so 1960, so I went over and pulled off the 1960 rack and started reading. And the NAMM show in 1960 had 180 exhibitors. 120 of them sold record players or TVs. Wow. Wow. <laughs> all those, you know, console ones that had records, radio, and TV all built in, a big Magnavox console. Yeah, yeah. The remaining 60 exhibitors, the majority of them were print music publishers, sheet mm. music, or songbooks. So that was the year I was born. And then you think about how when MIDI came in uh, and it was introduced, um, or synthesizers, So and then the show grew to the open floor plan. For a while, it had been in Chicago, literally in a, in a Hilton hotel with rooms where uh, Mr. Kakahashi, the founder of Roland, would always talk about how his first exhibit at NAMM in the 60s was in a hotel room. You know, he had this rhythm box and ultimately became Roland. But you'd fold the bed up in the corner during the daytime, <laughs> show your equipment, and then after everyone left for the day and the show closed, you'd close the door, move your equipment aside, and pull the bed down and go to bed. So, you know, think about how many changes the oh NAMM show seen. Um, and, you know, maybe 2020 was the peak of one of those big shows, you know, big double-decker booths. And maybe mm-hmm. it's time to change a little bit. And we'll have to see. Again, the market will have to decide. But I think, you know, um, one thing that I'm reminded of is there has been nothing but change. And to yeah. ever think something's going to stay the same is probably the biggest mistake you can make. So embrace the change. Uh, roll with it, just like musical styles or, you know, um, the way we make music, the way we share music. Thank God these tools are awesome, you know. Um, but no, I think if, I think the shows are going to change. I think they'll be more focused on people. They'll be more focused on education. Mm-hmm. They're still mm-hmm. an incubator for new companies. You know, Taylor Guitars is, is you know, one of the pre-eminent you know eminent guitar builders today. At one time, they were a small 10 by 10 exhibit at the National. Wow. Well, what wow. an incubator. What an incubator for new companies to find their voice and to find, you know, the way to, to tap into the, uh, to find their customers. So I think we have an obligation and responsibility to incubate, not only companies, but leaders, educate, um, and be that gathering point. Um, and I just think going back to the Silk Road, there's still going to be people who want to show a lot of new gear. I don't sure. want to discount that. Sure. Right now we can debut things online and stuff, but the Silk Road, there's a human nature about touching and feeling something, especially Absolutely. if it's a musical instrument or a, a product. You know, we want to see it. That's, we're very tactile kind of people, I think. So yeah. there'll be a portion of that. And maybe more emphasis on growing leaders and growing incubating new companies uh, in education. I mean, it's just such an important time to be completely open to new learning. And I think our, our educational offerings are, are the best in the world, I think, for whatever segment you're in. Well, I'm curious. I'm thinking ahead to June 3rd and the first person comes through the door. You've led the organization for two decades. What do you get excited about each year when the doors open? Uh, that they open. <laughs> I mean, it's a logistic, it's like a tour, right? That first, I remember on the Todd tours, you know, um, you'd be working all day, setting up sound, lights, you know, video, all the band gear. And to me, you know, there's this excitement that, you know, on tour at eight o'clock every night, the show started, you know, and mm-hmm. if the show started and the sound and lights all came up and the band launched into that first song, I would start breathing again. Because prior to that, I was not breathing. It was like, yeah. is everything ready? Is everything going to go? Yeah. So it's that kind of feeling that, you know, 
does the show open? Are the you know gates open? Are the security all in place? Is all the, are all the exhibitors ready? So for me, that opening mo- at the moment is when I start breathing again. Okay, ah, it's open. And uh, so after that, I'm excited about. I go see the do products too, and and mm. then I use the show as a way to meet with NAM members. I, I save sure. twenty, thirty plane trips by meeting ah. at the NAM trust. Really, an aggregate. It's an aggregator of meetings for sure. Interesting. Um, that's a value to companies. They they you know come to the show to save you know twenty weekends on the road because you can see everyone you need to see there. Mm, yeah. wow. So anyway, this will this year will be interesting. I think there's a lot of virtual companies right now. I know some, several of our members who haven't been back in the office yet or have hired people that are in different states or sometimes even different countries. We have, ironically, we have, or sadly, you know, Avid, you know, we have a lot of programmers who work for one of our NAM members who are in, in Ukraine right now. And so we're just okay. praying for them. But, but I think the NAM show increasingly is going to be used for companies to have some of the only meetings around the year where they're all in the same place. So I think you're going to see staff meetings and leadership meetings occurring mm. within companies in and around the NAM show because it may be the only time they're physically in the same location. So yeah. it's, we're trying to set you know, more space for that to happen and to okay. encourage people to have those meetings there. So okay. evolution, nothing stays the same. Nothing. Well, yeah, and speaking of that, and we had talked about this a couple minutes ago, the idea of change. I'm curious as to what you have done over over the years to uncover changes that maybe should be made to the NAM show, meaning do you go to other events like maybe the NAB show or AES or even possibly CES? Or I know that NAM always sends out surveys. Do you personally look at those or is it a case of what I do to personally affect change, Bruce, is I empower my staff to act upon the feedback we get and yes, maybe go to some of those events that you just mentioned? No, I'm kind of, I mean, because you know, any any good leader is a delegator, but, but at the same time, you know, any good leader, in my opinion, anyone I've ever admired is, is, is insanely curious, insatiably curious, right? So I go to everything you just said and more. Mm-hmm. Um, what I look to, I think one of the biggest changes we've made in the time I've been here was thinking about where we started, you know, this conversation, that a career path that can include so many different jobs within the industry, yet it's still the same person. And what I started thinking about the industry is not as clearly defined as it might have been. You know, that there's someone who just works in a music store, someone who just works for a manufacturer. It's like, I think there's a lot of people who have done or are doing all those things and more. So we came up with this concept and the, the phrase was crossroads, right? I've, you know, I've used that many, many times in different ways, but we want it to be the crossroads. The word is imbued with meaning in the music industry, right? Crossroads, where, you know, Robert Johnson, you know, uh, supposedly sold his soul to the devil to be able to play the blues the way he does. <laughs> but Crossroads to us meant unifying all those various groups of people who have done, you know, maybe worked in a store, they're a performer, they toured, they hung speakers in an install, they worked in a studio, they might have been in a classroom or taught privately. Those people are all the, you know, the, the people who make up this industry. So the word crossroads to us meant we wanted to be the crossroads where all those people gather. Oh, and by the way, from 100 different countries, too. So we've got yeah. Japanese music educators mixing with U.S. educators. And so crossroads was our drive. And that was a way to, in, in one fell swoop, unify the industry in one place at one time physically to elevate 
the entire trade and craft. That was our, so that's probably the, the outcome of all that research and, and life experiences was there isn't any just one path, that there are many paths and many of us have, you know, done all those and, mm-hmm. and, and share in that, in that kind of, and I think your, your listeners must have some to be able to relate to that. And yeah. so that's what, that's what the mantra became, Crossroads. I also also felt this about after the Great Recession, no eight oh nine, that we were at a crossroads as an organization. That if we didn't mm. look at things differently, we were going to be in trouble. And I think the last decade we've grown, you know, significantly because of the fact we embraced that broader that broader group. Um, because I do think there's a benefit. So you say you have a facility manager from a high school in Dallas, Texas. He's got a big budget to build a new uh, facility for the theater program. He comes to man and he'll meet with a sound company uh, exhibitor or a lighting company exhibitor and say, here are my needs. I think this, this, this. And someone at that, in that exhibit may say, hmm, we don't have anything like that now, but you've just given me an idea. Mm. And next thing you know, the next show, there's a brand new product. Wow. Or a you know, software developer talking to one of your listeners. Say, I'm recording these songs at home, but I just have this one hiccup with your product. And the engineer who's in the man booth goes, hmm, I can fix that. You know, and the idea that... Um, the the iterative uh, experience of having that kind of think tank all together yeah. is an accelerator to the industry. Um, I've been told by many NAM exhibitors that the products they take to the show are sometimes 98% finished, especially mm-hmm. the technology products, mm-hmm. 98% finished. And then they have them for a couple days, you know, artists and dealers and, and distributors are all poking at them. Does da, 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 this, does this, what about if it did this? And so they leave just a little bit of room left to go back and tweak one more time before they yeah. make a mass launch into the marketplace. Yeah, so like what a think tank, you know, and where how? do you get that anywhere else? You, you just can't. So um, those are the things that I think that, I, that we've change by creating that crossroads concept. It's it's, it's the easiest way to describe it, but a crossroads where everybody comes together from one weekend a year from all around the world to elevate the entire trade and to to create success paths for their own. Everyone wants to be more successful in what they do. So that's probably the change that I feel most strongly about that the team has made in in the time we've been together here in 21 years now. That's powerful. That's powerful. Thinking back to that individual that you just mentioned, the guy or gal who's the indie artist, at a NAM show, as you personally are walking the show floor, there's obviously so many demands on your time and you're being pulled in so many different directions. Are you ever able to actually kind of take a step back and just smile and watch and observe somebody and say, I'll bet you that is some independent artist that's talking to that rep over there from insert company here. And wow, how grassroots that is to see. Or is it a case of, unfortunately, Bruce, I would love to see that kind of stuff, but I am so busy that I'm usually behind closed doors in meetings somewhere. It's both, but you know, the thing I see is we have so many opportunities for artists to play at the show because again, I always thought about the the Warren Buffett saying we eat our own cooking. And so we've made Mm. sure there was live music everywhere around the show, all day long, all evening in dozens of different locations. So what's made me happy is to see some indie artists coming up playing the NAMM show and next thing you know I see them on you know Spotify with this many you know streams mm. or, or see them on one of the big TV shows and yeah. I go oh 
that happened. And, I mean, we had the Black Eyed Peas play one of the Summer Nam shows years and years and years ago. And next thing you know, they're huge. Orianti <laughs> was demoing guitars in the Paul Reed Smith booth before, you know, when she was still, I think, 17 or 18. Wow. Taylor Swift was in the Taylor guitar booth playing guitar before she got big. So wow. I get really excited to see some of the, you know, the people that came to Nam and, and used it like our industry uses it as a way to propel their career. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I get back to the, um, are we a catalyst? Are we an, uh, you know, a way to accelerate, you know, this kind of activity? I, that makes me really happy to see yeah, that happen. I like it. I like it. Final question. You are obviously in a position to meet a lot of high-profile A-listers that come through the NAM show. In fact, for the audience, on the show page for this episode at nhte.net, I'm going to post a picture of Joe with Stevie Wonder. But, Joe, is there one or two people that there's a story that really stands out from meeting so-and-so face-to-face kind of in the vein of, oh, my gosh, Ed Sheeran is here, or Johnny Depp is here, or Billy Bob Thornton, or some of those A-listers that come to NAM. What stands out from all your years at the event? Well, they're countless, and you're right. I can't remember them all. But I will share uh, one that was kind of funny in the sense that um, I host the opening keynote, and it's generally industry-related about trends and or what Ray Kurzweil is going to do next, at least joining Google. And, um, but we try and have a surprise guest each, each year to make it interesting. One year, the surprise guest happened to be Gene Simmons. Hmm. And Gene evidently, you know, is a wonderful businessman, evidently. And, you know, I guess he's done quite well. The band is <laughs> loved by many. But but I, I did some research before this was going to happen. And I saw, I guess he had a TV show. And actually, I knew from some of the people who toured with him that he could be sometimes kind of mean to people. Kind of, you know, uh, take, t- sense someone in the crowd and kind of just start picking on them. You know, that, that's kind of his style of, of, I don't know if it was humor or what he would do. But, okay. but I remember talking to him, you know, beforehand. I said, okay, we're going to go out there. You know, this is, this is a room of, you know, packed room of my, my favorite people, our members, 2,000 people in this room, in the, in the ballroom at the Anaheim show. And, and I said, Gene, you're a great businessman. You're going to have a lot to share with them about branding and all that. So let's do that. But I said, if you're going to pick on anybody, if you're going to be mean to any of our members, we're not, let's just not do this. No harm, no foul. No mm. one knows you're here. So if you're not there, it's great. But I just said, no harm, no foul. But but please, I love these members and do not pick on them. <laughs> and, wow. and he looked wow. at me right in the eye and goes, okay, okay, we'll do that. And he ended up doing being a great guest. And it was funny. And he really did, you know, have some great mm. um, advice in his own, you know, uh, kind of had a unique way of sharing, but he really wow. did have some great advice that our members still talk about today about wow. retail marketing. So, but I had to look at him and say, please, <laughs> I, I've seen your style and sometimes <laughs> you can be really mean to people and these are our members and we love them and I'm not going to go out there if you're going to do that. So yeah, I had, we had that agreement, that gentleman's agreement before we went out. So that was a like kind that. of a fun moment that, that I, I got like to that. see with him. Mean, a brush with greatness. He's kind of a cool guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like that. And as much as I'm laughing at it, I also admire you because to me that tells me how much you value the NAM members, that it means that much to you, that if you ran the event and there was no surprise guest, it was more important to you that the members went away happy than, well, I got to put some A-lister out front. Uh, so so hats off to you for, for taking that step and, and prioritizing the members over the fact that, hey, this is Gene Simmons. 
thank you. That makes a great story, too. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, Joe, it's been great having uh-huh. you on the show. I'll look forward to seeing you in June. Uh, I'll be giving out more information once again here, but I uh, just want to take this opportunity to, to congratulate you and to thank you for being on the show and, and all that you've done for the worldwide music community. Thank you, Bruce. We're looking forward to getting everyone back together again. Getting, the, getting the, It's time to get the band back together again after two and a half years. So I'm looking forward to seeing you. No doubt, no doubt. And with that, I will wrap up another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. My sincere thanks to Joe Lamond, President and CEO of the National Association of Music Merchants. Do visit their official website at nam.org. And again, I will have a link to it on the show page for this episode at nhte.net. Do be sure to engage with them through their various social media channels as well. On nam.org, you will find icons to visit them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. One more time, the 2022 NAM show is coming up June 3rd to the 5th in California at the Anaheim Convention Center. Details on who can attend and how to register are on nam.org. As I mentioned earlier, you don't have to be in the music business to seek my help or to do a podcast. I had someone do a consultation with me recently who is planning a podcast that will offer commentary on reality TV, just to give one example of the kind of people that I'm helping. Whether you're thinking of starting up a podcast or already have one but feel alone and not real set on where things are headed, book an online session with me and let's make sure you're going forward in your podcast journey regardless of the genre. Write to podcast at nhte.net and let's set a date and time for a confidential one-on-one conversation. Take advantage of my more than eight years doing this show and get in touch so I can help you out. That's going to do it for episode 425. Thanks ever so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on another new episode of Now Hear This Entertainment. Entertainment.